Before we get to our guest, I want to talk about our NOAA subscription. CD Media is not just a local news company. We're not just a military company. We're not even just a national company. CDM is a global news organization that has reporters from the Middle East to Eastern Europe to the Balkans to Asia to Latin America to the United States. Put us in your daily scan and get the news, tip of the spear news from around the world. I know that people don't like ads, however. They don't like pop-up ads on their phone. They don't like to see ads on the websites. But you know what? We have to make money. Seriously, we have to support ourselves, and that's one of the ways we do it. However, if you don't like ads, you can sign up for our no-ad subscription. And guess what? You get access to our dozen newspapers around the world, our dozen news organizations, and you get access to all this quality, high-quality content. So, so give us a few bucks, sign up for your no-ad subscription, and you'll get access to all of the sites with a block on the ads, and you'll be very happy. And now let's get to our guest. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan, and this is Global Conversations and in Plain Sight. And today we are honored to have Mike McCormick with us. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Christine. It's great to be on with you. Well, you know, what's so interesting is that I did, I never knew this, but it made a lot of sense that they would have stenographers in the White House. Um, and even though I've been covering politics for 40 years, this is the first time I've interviewed somebody who was in that position. And Mike, we're, we're talking to you because you've written two books. Uh, I'm going to hold up the covers for it. 15 years deplorable. And then about your 15 years in the White House with the Bush, Obama and Trump administration. And then also about your book. Unauthorized. So let's just start with because you're in a very unique position in Washington, D.C., where you actually took notes of everything that was exchanged between the press and the person that you were taking notes for. Is, is, explain to the audience how that works, because obviously you'd have to do that because that's history in the making. Exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, journalism, the first blush at history is what they say. So I worked for the White House press office as a stenographer from 2002 to 2018, one year with Trump. There was a little period of time in there from 2007 to 2010. I was doing another job down in Richmond with a nonprofit that didn't work out. I came back to Washington, got my job back. I was very good at being a stenographer. Basically, what we had to do was record anything that was an interchange between the press and a, and, and a White House principal, the president, the vice president, national security advisor. I did, worked a lot with Dr. Condoleezza Rice during the Bush years and all the um, press, press secretaries. So we would do the daily briefings. And really, the reason was because you know, there's a war of words, daily war of words in Washington, and they need the transcript to make sure people aren't being misquoted, that the White House is held to its word. And, you know, the word is what the word of the president is very important. So that was our job when he's speaking to the press. So I wasn't in national security meetings. I wasn't in meetings on policy or anything like that. And but we did travel whenever the press traveled with the president. 
we traveled too. So I know I, I traveled on Air Force One. I traveled on Air Force Two. And I traveled with Joe Biden from 2011 through 2017, January, when he left. I was his primary stenographer. I went to Russia with him. I went to Ukraine with him. I went to China with him, all around the world. And I heard everything he said, which isn't easy to listen to when you're a stenographer for Joe Biden. <laughs> so so in your, in your book, The 15 Years of uh, Deplorable, your White House memoir, you talk about how many people, I just want to give a setting and some context here. It was a small office. You, I mean, you had a really good boss. You, get, you got along with her very well. And, and you, you, when you get assigned, are you, a, are you assigned to a specific purpose? I mean, specific person in the White House? Or you alternate? How does that work? We had a team and basically it was, you know, all hands on deck every time. If it was, a, say, the, the um, State of the Union address, everybody was in the office for that to get that out quickly. Because the other side of the job was we were working to, to supply press the press demand, they need things immediately. You know, they would have their own recorders, they would do their own recordings, but they needed the transcript to be quick, accurate, and on time so they could, you know, publish their stories quickly. Um, so that was that side of it. Um, so, you know, we did have a team. Um, I was assigned specifically to the vice president's office. I we were contractors for most of my time there. In 2014, uh, Obama federalized our office. We became federal employees. And that was something I was opposed to because I didn't like, I liked the idea of being a contractor and working, you know, sort of because you're good at it and earning and winning the contract rather than being a federal employee and then being at the beck and call of the government. And ultimately I left the position because as a federal government employee, in a toxic workplace. I like Trump. No one else in the office liked Trump. They're all diehard Obama fans. They they basically, I got cancel cultured. Wow, right there, right there in the White House. So it does, it does happen. Yeah. It does happen. Yeah. So um, Mike, let's, let's talk about, I, I thought it was, I, I, I had fun reading the press because you know I've been I've been in the business for a long time. I used to be the political director at CNN. I mean we we, we have misbehaviors. There's no doubt about that. And, um, but how do, how do you think that the press corps changed from Biden to Obama to Trump? Well, from Obama to Trump, Biden was sort of a side. He was a sideshow. You know that um, uh, sideshow Bob, that character on The Simpsons. He's almost like the sideshow Bob of the Obama administration. He really is kind of goofy. But underneath it is a very nefarious evildoer. He's very close to being the sideshow Bob of the Obama administration. But the press was enraptured with Barack Obama. They loved Barack Obama. He was the answer to all their dreams. And, you know, let's be honest. A lot of the press, they pretend to be unbiased. They pretend to be sort of middle of the road. They're very biased and they're very liberal leaning. And it's hard to tell who actually doesn't have a political bias. There's only a couple. I kind of name them in the book. Later, I found out looking at White House visitor logs, all the press that were visiting Joe Biden's private residence for his Biden boardwalk bash. You know, they would go and have this pool party in the summer 
their kids would meet mix up with the Biden family and they'd shoot squirt guns at each other. And it was a big gala event that brought the press really to Biden's side, which I think is still paying dividends for him. That paid dividends when Hunter signed on to be the board of Burisma. It paid dividends as Hunter, as Joe Biden was sort of being accused of, you know, being involved in that. They just sort of turned the other cheek. So, you know, there was a huge belief in what that White House was doing. They wanted Obama to succeed. They never said a discouraging word about him. Trump came in and the, the whole thing turned on its head. It became the most toxic environment I'd worked in. And I worked through the, you know, uh, Iraq war years where people were pretty tense in that briefing room. But I remember walking into the briefing room the first days of Trump's um, new term, it was shocking to me. This the facial expressions, the body language was like, th this is enemy territory. Like I've never seen it. You know, there was no level of sort of reserved. Okay, we're going to sit back and just let this happen. This was there was some really aggressive looking faces in there. Uh, the Washington Post guy was pretty rough. CNN um, Jim uh, Villa at the time was screaming in my ear. This is the first time he ever did that. You know, CNN, Jim Avila was always a real friendly guy. Hey, how you doing? When the Trump spokesman, the people came to the mic, he would scream. And he, we sat right next to each other. That's where our seat was to record what the press was saying with our handheld microphones. And he would be yelling, you know, at, to get a question. And it was just, it was over the top. And, you know, they were kind of accusing Trump of having this chaotic White House. But they were the ones that were adding the chaos to it. So, you know, there's a lot of manipulation in that. Did you see the hostility when the cameras were off? I mean, just in the in the news area, part of the White House at the time? Yeah, in pool, when we went with the pool groups on the planes and, you know, at the events, just the discussion was anti-Trump, anti-Trump and disgust and, you know, how do we get this guy out of here kind of stuff. I mean, it was really over the top. Did and anybody, were people... Hesitant if you were in the room, or did, was it said in front of you? Oh yeah, no, it was said in front of said in front of Stenos. Now you know I've always been apolitical. I'm a registered independent. I worked for other White Houses. A lot of the press there knew my background. They'd worked with me when I worked with um, Bush. So I came into Obama, and then I'm working with Trump. They just saw me as sort of like you know the fly in the wall, neutral territory. But they, their discussions were a lot more antagonistic towards the administration. It was, it was actually pretty shocking. Um, so, uh, and I, I didn't, because at the time I was still the vice president stenographer. So I spent most of my time focusing on uh, Mike Pence, Vice President Pence. And he didn't get a lot of press attention. So I wasn't out in the middle of the press a lot. I did like one trip on Air Force One down to Mar-a-Lago. So that was kind of my interaction with uh, the White House press. It was kind of limited. And part of that was what I said was a toxic environment in my office. They didn't want me going out and mixing with the press. They wanted to restrict me. That was part of the, you know, the toxicity and the restrictions they were putting on me. So let, let me let's go let's go to the second book that you wrote, the Joe Biden unauthorized. I mean, it's it's you know, and for people that we're we're going to discuss the substance of the book and the context. First, I want to get to you have a unique position because 
And from your perch of having worked physically and being housed in the White House complex, you know when somebody signs in for a visitor's blog and the location they're going to, you know what that means. So you're, you're like the little mouse over there that can feed us new information. And also because you're on the planes when you did travel with Vice President Biden. Let's go back to the trips that you accompanied then Vice President Biden overseas. Which ones were you on? Uh, <laughs> well, that was a thing with him. I only traveled overseas with Biden. And that was one of the attractions to the job for me because I have young children. They were very young at the time. I didn't want to be on a week, night after night, uh, night 2012 political campaign where you're out of the office 40 hours a week. So I, I stuck with Biden. Where did I go? I went to Russia. I went to China. I went to Ukraine, went to Honduras. We went, you know, a lot of travel was late in the, um, late in his term. We went to these, the Baltic States. Uh, we went to, um, Australia. Uh, well, we did, a, he did a lot in Turkey. We went to Turkey three times and he did a couple trips down to, to, South America and Central America that I didn't go on. And a lot of, it wasn't like I always went on a trip. If I wasn't, if there was no press on the trip, I wasn't on the trip. If there was press on the trip, I should have been on the trip. That was what I was there for. And so a lot of times, you know, he was Sideshow Bob of the White House. So he didn't have the press following around. When he did, it was a big deal. And he wanted a stenographer there. All right. So how does that work behind the scenes? If, if, if the press, if, meaning the small pool, a lot of times it's, it's nothing more than reporting back to their comrades and, you know, brethren in the, in the news business. Um, when you're, are you told ahead of time that there's going to be a theme, the reason for the trip? Is there a briefing that goes on between the administration and the stenographer at the White House? The only briefings I got were when we were going to highly sensitive areas. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking specifically with Biden. Like I went to Iraq with um, once a couple of times with Cheney. That was a secret to me. They didn't tell me. I rolled up to the airport. And I thought I was riding on a car plane. I didn't know what was going. I was freaking out. So from then on, they always told me where we're going. Um, so Biden, we would we had briefings about going to Russia. There was sort of a security briefing, personal security in Russia. Um, we had briefings on China, and that was about it. I mean, otherwise they would say, "We're going on this trip. We need your passport, uh, and here's the itinerary." It's just sort of a general idea. We'll be going to these countries on these dates. Get ready, okay? And that's basically all I had to do. So that puts you on the plane. All right. You get on the plane. And what was the most notable looking back now with everything that's played out with Biden now at president of the United States? Ukraine's out there. The laptop is out there. The CCP has come up in terms of the reporting of Hunter Biden's financial dealings. Ukraine has come up. What is what's the story that we're missing here, Mike, that people really need to learn about? to put this all in some context, because you were on the plane to China, to Ukraine. Right. Well, the big, the big part of the story is the laptop. So a year and a half ago, I was given a copy of the laptop 
by uh, a former Bush employee named Garrett Ziegler. He got the laptop right at the end of uh, Bush's term. I mean, I'm sorry, a former Trump employee, Garrett Ziegler. He got the laptop right at the end of Trump's term. And he had read my book. He was familiar with me. He said, Mike, you should have this laptop. You know so much about what happened. You need to look into it. It's so full of corruption. So he gave it to me. No strings attached. And I don't report for him. I didn't get paid for it. Nothing. So ever since looking at it, I started writing a Substack, Midnight in a Laptop of Good and Evil. What we need to know about Joe Biden, based on what I've seen in the laptop, is that he was a master criminal with evil intent. He put himself in positions over and over again to be at the head of an initiative that Obama just let him take, take over. He was at the head of the Iraq initiative. He was at the head of the China-Asia pivot. He was at the head of rescuing Ukraine. He was at the head of the Alliance for Prosperity in the uh, Northern Triangle. That's El Salvador, Guatemala, and uh, Honduras down in Central America. Those are all disasters right now, every single one of them. And that was Joe Biden's intention, I think. He went in there. He enriched himself and his family off his business dealings there. And he became embroiled in a corruption that was known by the by those foreign governments. Xi Jinping took over as the vice president in China and became a close relate developed a close relationship with Joe Biden. And I think it was developed as an idea from the CCP that we want to have Biden on our side and we can get him on our side. He's corrupt and he's easily manipulated. And that's what they did. If you're looking for a Manchurian candidate, Joe Biden is the guy. And look where he is now. He's okay. President of the United States and Xi Jinping is the de facto emperor of China. Now, those are pretty strong words. OK, so look, I, I got to unpack this because um, it's the right thing to do. When you say when you say that he's corrupt, what is it that you know that the public needs to know in terms of any financial corruption here? So Joe Biden was the mastermind of the Ukraine rescue package that enriched his son by putting his son on the board of Burisma Holdings, the natural gas conglomerate in Ukraine. In 2009, right when he first got there, Joe Biden went to Ukraine and it was not widely publicized. I wasn't on that trip. I wasn't in the White House then. But he, at a coming back, I write in my book, he started something like the White House focus group on Ukrainian energy security. He already knew who the players were in 2009. He knew who Burisma was. He knew how they did their interactions and, and what they needed to, quote unquote, rescue themselves from Russia and intervention. Russia was running huge volumes of natural gas and oil through pipelines in Ukraine. Joe Biden knew all this. In 2014, when the Maidan revolution occurred, and I'm, you know, I'm not a foreign policy expert. I'm not going to call it an orange, a color revolution like a lot of people do. But Joe Biden's friend, uh, Alexander Kwasniewski, the Polish president, they go back way back into uh, the NATO enlargement of Poland into NATO. Joe Biden was um, the chairman of the um, Foreign Relations Committee. Right. He, Kwasniewski went into Ukraine like 60 times in the run-up to that Maidan revolution. They were trying to push Ukraine 
maybe it was 30. I think it might have been 30 times. They were trying, he was part of an EU uh, task force trying to push Ukraine towards the EU. They went instead towards Russia. Then comes Maidan revolution. Then comes the invasion into Crimea. And Joe Biden rides to the rescue. His son is getting enriched with Burisma. Joe Biden knew when he was flying on a plane into Ukraine, April 21st, 2014, I was on that plane, that his son was already on the board of Burisma. He was asked, his spokesman, um, Jake Sullivan, was asked in a briefing that I was recording in the back of the plane, what energy security you're bringing to Ukraine? And he answered four things. Two of them benefited directly Burisma. Joe Biden which, knew. Which ones? Let's get specific for the audience. The, the two that benefited Burisma. Burisma was at the time the pr premier fracking company. Uh, they were the, the largest private natural gas producer in Ukraine, but they were the premier f uh, gas producer from fracking. They were bringing, uh, um, Sullivan said, we're bringing uh, assistance for their non-traditional gas resources. Well, that's fracking. He was trying to be cute and get around it, but he was talking about fracking. And they also went over there with this package from the USAID to uh, improve energy, um, not, not energy assistance, energy uh, efficiency in their municipal buildings. It was called the Municipal Energy Reform Program out of USAID. That went specifically to Burisma. They knew as they were going in there, they were going to do this. And that's corruption. That's public corruption. That's a kickback scheme. That was just Burisma. There was other stuff in China. The, you know, the, the bank transfers that are coming out now through the Oversight Committee are shedding unbelievable light on the money that Hunter Biden was pulling in. And not just Hunter, but all of the Biden crime family were in there. And that's, that's a recent report by Congressman Comer and, and his Oversight and Accountability Committee. That right. is saying that there's nine family members, nine family members in the Biden family. Right. But specifically to what I saw with Joe in China, in 2013 in December, I was on an Air Force Two flight into Beijing with Joe Biden. Hunter was on the plane. Joe Biden on that trip, I think Hunter was on the plane to be a distraction for what Joe Biden was up to. Joe Biden on that trip had a meeting with Xi Jinping who was then the president of China. These are the two that have this long personal relationship. They, Joe Biden hijacked the meeting with Xi Jinping. It was only supposed to be an hour and a half or so. It went on for four hours. There were, uh, there's transcripts that, I, that are in the White House, uh, ObamaWhiteHouse.gov website, where there are the press on the plane are saying, well, why did he have all this time with Xi Jinping and we were told it was going to be, you know, it wasn't going to be just the two of them, but it turns out he said it was just the two of them. What was really happening? And the, and the transcription session just ends. It's really strange. It's the only transcript I've ever worked on or seen in the whitehouse.gov website where this transcript just ends. There's no ending. So very strange meeting. Out of that meeting, Hunter Biden's Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners begin to invest in a company called Metabiota. Metabiota was a biowarfare uh, contractor. They were a pandemic predictor. They were a... a well, they, they're also... Now, that was originally started by Nathan Wolf. Right. 
And Nathan Wolf is, is I don't know whether he considers himself a biologist. I, you know, I, I'm not certain, you know, what part of the science he is, but he's been part of the coronavirus. He's like the bat people, the bat woman in China that goes out to the cave and collects right. the coronavirus specimens to take them back into the Petri dish. And we know that Metabio was in Ukraine. We know that uh, there were some financial investments made into those labs in Ukraine. Right. Um, and as, you know, as Biden is having this meeting with Xi Jinping in this December 2013 timeframe, Metabiota is in the caves in China picking up bat, bat viruses through bat scat. And I know Xi Jinping would have known that. Well, within weeks, within days of returning to the America, Rosemont Senec Technology Partners, Hunter Biden's, one of Hunter Biden's many companies, begins an aggressive um investment program into Metabiota. Six weeks after that, Metabiota picks up the largest contract they've had from the government to date, $16 million to do biowarfare research in the Republic of Georgia, right on the doorstep of Russia. Then they start negotiating with Hunter and his Rosemont Center Technology Partners people in Washington to go into Ukraine. There, there are two members of this Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners Group who go for White House tours in April 2014, days before Joe Biden goes to Ukraine. White House tours are a great, great way for senior staffers to have a one-on-one -on -one meeting that doesn't look like a one-on-one -on -one meeting with senior staffers. The person gets invited into the White House. They are walking around looking at old furniture and the various rooms. And they're having a chit chat with somebody and no one knows who the person is they're chit chatting because the person they're invited in to see is a low level staffer. That's how they get cleared in. But the real meeting takes place under cover of this, this white house tour. So when you have cross referenced in your research and, and you take a look at the white house logs and where those people, what floor they're going to, you've mentioned to me off camera that, you know, some of these people like Nathan Wolf went to the fourth floor of the executive building, which is, I mean, what kind of a clearance do you have to get in to, to, to get it to that floor? Uh, you don't need a clearance. I mean, our bill, our office was on the fifth floor. So we'd walk down through the fourth floor all the time. But if you go into the offices on the fourth floor, you leave your cell phone outside of the office and there's a, a punching code. You can't get through the door unless somebody invites you in or you go through the punching code. So it's a secure floor. Um, all the offices in the Eisenhower building were like that when I was there. So, you know, not all, you could walk, you're walking with your phone in most offices, but not on that floor. You can't bring a phone into the uh, situation room or the high security um, sites. You can bring your phone in your pocket into the Oval Office. You know, that's what the press, when the press were there, that's what they did. So what is, you've said publicly that you want to testify before the grand jury in Delaware about Hunter Biden. What is it that you think you have that they don't have, Mike? Well, they've been investigating through the laptop and the FBI is apparently telling them what crimes Hunter Biden committed. But my understanding, based on what I just told you about this April 21st, 2014 flight is Joe Biden is part of this criminal activity. 
He is part explain, of the conspiracy. Explain how you get that link, because I mean, it, it seems to me that you're suggesting, or, or you be, truly believe, that because there's an overlap of where Hunter did business and Joe was involved with policy for the Obama administration, it was he was using that office to benefit his family. Is that what you're what you're suggesting? Yeah, and that's what I would go and tell the grand jury. You know, this is the evidence I have. There are meetings, and, and the evidence I have arrived as I flew into Ukraine with Joe Biden on that plane on April 20, 21st, 2014. I thought he was just doing regular business, going in to help a country that needed help. They've been invaded by Russia. We're bringing assistance. That's what the U.S. does. But having looked in the, in the laptop, and seeing the meetings that were set up between Joe and Hunter, and the um, and and Hunter is an intermediary between Barisma executives and Joe. And Barisma executives are in the laptop referring to Joe by his code name, which is Robin Ware four five six at gmail.com. That's his code email. Well, there's a there's a uh, uh, laptop email from um, Burisma executive Vadim Pazarsky, where he refers to Robin, Robin and all. And it comes at a time right before Joe Biden is due to go to Ukraine. That was in November 2014. And I was on that trip, too. So there's so much crossover. And, you know, a grand jury looks at preponderance of evidence. They're not looking at, you know, uh, the benefit of the doubt. It's preponderance of evidence. So any any in, inkling of evidence you have, that there's a connection of a criminal activity between Joe Biden and Burisma, which is under investigation. It has to be presented to them, and no one has. That's what I should go and talk to them about. Is, when you look back, did you have one of those aha moments when, when you started looking at the laptop with your background and, and you're in the room where history is being made on Air Force Two? Did, did you think, whoa, this is serious? I've had about a thousand of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the biggest aha moment I had was when I was writing the book in um, January 2020. Uh, yeah, I, I was bringing the book out right in time for the um, what I thought was going to be, you know, the election trying to go through the um, preliminary election races, the primaries. And all of a sudden I realized that, you know, we had gone to Poland with this guy, with Joe Biden in March 2014. And this guy Kwasniewski was his good friend. And Kwasniewski was the guy who had brought Hunter Biden onto the board. They lied about it a lot, but basically at the at, by then, 2020, the word was out. Kwasniewski was the guy. And this is as they were trying to impeach Trump. And all of a sudden, that's when the light bulb went on. And I had to rewrite a whole chapter because I just had sort of a gloss over chapter of what happened in Ukraine. And then I started looking at it. And there were meetings in the White House visitor logs. And that's all in that chapter, you know, um, Joe Biden in Ukraine with Hunter. Do you think this story is ever going to be told the, the way it should be, Mike? Because it, it, it's almost like there was a deflection someplace else to keep everybody's eyes off of what was happening internationally. It will be told. I, I think the time is coming actually quickly. It's just how much of the story gets told. Joe Biden is now, when he gets to be uh, the albatross around the 
Democratic Party's neck. And they realize they have to jettison this guy for their survival. That's when the story starts to get told. And that's already started with the Oversight Committee. And there'll be more of those revelations. The big story is how entwined in it was Barack Obama, how entwined it was uh, the Chinese Communist Party, what kind of uh, activities were done behind the scenes to generate. This is what I put in my Substack. I think Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and his Rosemont Seneca Technology Partners through Metabiota pushed a narrative that achieved the shutdowns and the panic of the Wuhan virus in 2020. They were involved in that. And it wasn't just them. There were, there were Republicans on it too, but it was mostly Democrats, Democratic operatives, Ron Klain primarily, and people in the media who let this happen. They were anti-Trump. They wanted to get rid of Trump. They needed a high level, very public global tragedy to pin on him. And that's what the Wuhan virus pandemic was. And looking into the laptop and seeing Joe Biden's invisible hand in it, it's absolutely nefarious. And that's the story that is struggling to get told. We'll see if it comes out in full. So how many times did, did you see in the laptop? How many times was, was Hunter meeting with Ron Klain, Tony Blinken, Susan Rice, Samantha Powers, people who worked in the Obama administration or worked for the vice president during Obama's administration? How many, how many people was Hunter engaged with? The better answer to that comes through um, the research done by Marco Polo. So that's Garrett Ziegler who gave me the laptop. Um, they put out the um, report on the Biden laptop, which is exhausting, exhaustive. It's They've documented over 400 crimes that Hunter and his business partners and Joe Biden committed. So their, their deep dive went specifically into the laptop. They, they know what lobbyists, they know what Congress people, all those, all those players in the swamp, they've put, highlighted in their, um, in their report. I don't, th I don't think Samantha Powers pops up in the laptop. I think Hunter Biden was seeing people socially. And, you know, the laptop, there's parts of it, like there's a portion of it where it's erased from uh, June 2013 to uh, like, January, February, 2014, it's all, it's blanked out. It's like he scrubbed it. So the, a lot of what came out of the laptop report, reporting when it first came out was the salacious selfie porn, the disgusting behavior. But the actual connection in through Joe is harder to see. And I see it because I know the timelines. I see what Joe, I know where Joe was in May, May, 2014, that he went to, he went to Burisma's banking stronghold Cyprus on a nondescript trip that I didn't take with him. He was also in Romania on that trip. Well, that's what, it, you know, oversight chairman uh, Comer just came out and said, we have a Romanian national who said Joe Biden got a bribe from us. Well, both those are very questionable activities for him on the same trip with no press there. So that's how I look into the laptop and I see things there. And uh, that's where I think the investigation will eventually begin to uncover Joe's hand, invisible hand in this, they were clever about hiding his um, relationship. You know, Sideshow Bob, he doesn't come out as the nefarious evildoer until late in the Simpsons series. 
So the, you, you have also written recently, and we've talked about this, explain to the audience who Clemens is. Because this, right. sort of this is kind of an interesting character, and I, I don't know him, um, but he has surfaced on your horizon, and now you're writing about him. I am. I traveled with Steve Clemens twice. Uh, once and explain to the audience who he was at that point in time. So Steve Clemens is a is a Washington journalist who started off writing his own blog about foreign policy, and apparently he was really well connected. He had worked in his past as an aide to uh, Senator uh, Bingaman in New Mexico. He worked with the Rand Corporation for a while. He held sort of a, a array of jobs, had an array of expertise, brought it into this blog, and then Joe Biden discovered him, and they became fast friends. That's what's in the laptop. They didn't hide stuff like that. So he is very close to Hunter. He's very close to Joe. And the closer he gets, the better his career progresses. He moves from being on this blog detail to writing for the Atlantic magazine. In 2013, he was on that trip to um, Beijing as part of this uh, Atlantic magazine writer. He was the pool reporter there, and he wrote some really weird pool reports. So strange that the other reporters were like, why is he doing it like this? They were very suspicious of him. There was actually a, a report written in Politico magazine about his poll reports. There was an article written about his odd poll reports. He pulled himself into the story a lot more than any poll reporter I ever heard about. So and these these are the reports when you're in when your poll reporter writes up for all the other White House press corps who are not physically in the room. Just so right. the audience understands. So this goes back to the White House press office. They disseminate this all around the world, and the press are reading these things. But what they weren't reading was about Hunter Biden was on the trip. Joe Biden had a long, very suspicious meeting with Xi Jinping. They never read that in the poll reports. And a lot of reporters will just go with what's happening on the trip. I'll oh, just read the poll reports. It were very, they were very innocuous. And so there was almost like a news blackout when he was writing poll reports, that trip. Then again, he was on another trip. Um, we went to Iraq and Rome in 2016. And he was on that trip. I don't remember a lot about what he did there. He wasn't a pool reporter, but I do remember him sort of inserting himself into like a personal relationship with some of the, we were in the, we were in the Vatican and he was sort of getting very personal with one of the Cardinals who was a spokesperson for the Vatican. I remember the other reporters were like, why is he doing that again? And then later he was on Joe Biden's final Air Force Two trip alone with Joe. Well, let's 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 explain that. So this is January 2017. January 2017. Joe takes a very unusual trip. This is days before um, Trump comes in to be inaugurated, and Joe Biden decides to go to Ukraine and the Davos uh, gathering with the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Well, uh, Steve Clemens is on that trip. I wasn't on the trip. It's uh, very unusual to have. Joe Biden with press on the on his plane and no stenographer. I don't so, believe so there it ever was no, there was no stenographer on that train on the plane. No, I didn't realize he was on the trip until I saw an article he wrote about it like two weeks ago. That's when I started writing this, and that was an aha moment. I was like, wow! And it's, at that time, the, Mike, clarify that again. You're saying that when when Biden went to Davos and he went to Ukraine in January of 2017. Clemens was on that 
plane. So that means a press person was there, but there was no stenographer? Correct. And this is also unusual because I had written a substack. I looked at this Davos um, trip from the perspective of what was Hunter doing? Does, was, was Hunter, Hunter involved was Hunter, in it? Hold and on. Hunter was supposed to be on that trip. He, was he? He, he? Well, it's hard to tell. You know, his his uh, posts in the, in the um, laptop go blank from just before that trip till about a week after. And he had, there was, there was emails where he's getting a new passport to go on the trip. He tells his friends, my dad wants me in Davos with them. I'm going to Davos. And so I wrote, a, uh, and there was a guy going back and forth with Hunter who was in Davos saying, hey, I want to set this, this uh, speech up for your dad about the um, cancer moonshot. It'll be great here. People really want to hear from him. And that did happen. And I actually wrote to that guy and said, did, Joe, did Hunter go on the trip? I never heard back. You know, and so the Marco Polo group helped me. And they said, you know what? We took a deep dive in the technicals on his cell phone use and where he was. It looks like he never went on that trip. I, so I wrote a correction. I said, you know, I said he was on the trip. He's not on the trip. It looks like after deep dive in the technicals, not on the trip. Steve Clemens was on the trip. Steve Clemens, it looks like, replaced Hunter on Joe's final trip. What was that about? On were, that there, trip, were there any other press that were on that trip with Biden other than Steve Clemens? He doesn't write about it like that. There's only a very brief article in Atlantic that describes what he did on the trip. He doesn't say anybody else is on the trip. He talks glowingly about his time with Biden, but he only used um, transcript passages to like for the quotes. It wasn't like he had a lot of, it, it seems like he didn't have a lot of personal time with Biden on the trip. But knowing what I know about who was in the office back then, the office of the vice president was emptied out by then. I can't picture in my mind who would have been on that plane. There probably was maybe Secret Service agents, a couple of staff people, a couple, and Steve Clemens. It's almost like he was sitting alone in the back of the plane. And what was Joe Biden doing? I mean, in the article, he says Joe Biden spent the, the day on the phone on the trip home, you know, calling world leaders. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if they had a long personal conversation. It's not reported on. And he's the only source of what Joe Biden was doing in Davos. He met with Xi Jinping. He did he meet with uh, um, Bill Gates, who was there to announce a major new um, launch of a vaccine uh, promotional group that was going to promote what he called DNA RNA vaccines. That's what became the mRNA vaccines that are playing the recovery from the Wuhan virus. I mean, these are all seminal moments that happen in the Wuhan pandemic. There's seminal people that are involved in it. Xi Jinping, Joe Biden, Davos, Bill Gates, and there's Clemens right in the middle of it. Let, Why me, ask, there? let me ask you something. What was the date of that trip uh, to Ukraine and to Davos in uh, January 2017? Off the top of my head, I, I know they were there. They went to Ukraine on the Friday they left. They came back Saturday, Sunday. They were in Davos. Uh, Monday, Tuesday for speeches. They were back on Wednesday. The um, Trump inauguration was the, um, I think it was the 21st on Thursday. So it would have been 
18th. So this would have been at 22nd. So this would have been, and this is our reporting, uh, January 7th, President Obama lifts the gain of function. January 14th, 2017, there is a tabletop exchange between Trump's transition team and the Obama-Biden team. Old group going out, new group coming in, but the tabletop discussion is a pandemic. Right. And then you're saying after the 17th or during the 17th, during the 14th-ish, he's uh, Biden's going over to Ukraine and then he goes to Davos? Yeah, I think it was probably the 17th to the 22nd he was on that trip, Ukraine and Davos. Interesting timing. Interesting timing if somebody's got subpoena power just that month alone. Right. And Clemens was at the center of it. A month after he well, goes- he, wait, wait, When you say he was at the center, let's say he was on, it, it's, it, there's enough information to ask him about that. But at the same time, the White House press office, wouldn't they, or Biden press office, know what other press was on that plane? Yeah, but they were skeleton crew then. I mean, I was shocked when I saw this in the Politico magazine a couple of weeks ago. I was like, wow. Well, but at the same trip. time, the, the press wasn't on vacation. Press was on vacation, but everything was no, focused they, on No, they Trump. weren't on vacation. I mean, the press was working during yeah. the transition. Yeah, and they they were, you know, everything was focused on Trump, the transition. I mean, there was a this was a great time for Joe Biden to take a trip without much intention except what he wanted to be told. And, you know, Clemens was a very personal friend with Biden. I mean, this goes back into the White House. He's going to Naval Observatory receptions. He's giving uh, Kathleen Biden's uh, friends, daughters, opportunities as interns at the Atlantic Magazine. I mean, there's a lot of things in the laptop that tie him very closely to Hunter and Joe together. And then he's on this plane. And out of that comes this, you know, almost immediately after uh, Trump came into office, the drumbeat started for warning the world about how Donald Trump was going to handle a pandemic, how he wasn't suited to handle a pandemic, specifically a pandemic. And one of the largest beaters of the drums was Stephen Clemens. He moved from the Atlantic magazine to the Hill magazine and ran a very um, prominent podcast during the shutdown time of the 2020 pandemic, basically interviewing Biden operatives to tell their story about how terrible a job Donald Trump was doing with the pandemic. Well, if I remember correctly, and and I I might be off here, but um, John Solomon was at the Hill. He had written about Ukraine and Russia when he was at the Hill before he started Just the News. But that would have been, it's, it almost sounds like that Clemens replaced Solomon. I don't know about that. I mean, I plan to try to call, I, I plan to call Clemens and interview him. You know, he may remember me. He was a very gregarious guy. He's a friendly guy. I mean, I don't dislike him, but I have real reservations about what he was really up to now, having seen what's in the laptop and his behavior as a result of that, I mean, he became the number one sort of proponent in the media for the fact that there was a pandemic coming and Donald Trump was going to be a, a was going to Donald Trump was going to blow it and, you know, take the world down with him.
it was a it was very manipulative how they wrote about that. Mike, how do people uh, how do people find you now? How, how, is, is there you know you've got you fifteen years about your White House memoir, and then Joe Biden unauthorizes the other book that I've read. Where do people find you on a daily basis? Well, um, I'm on. You can get me on a daily basis. I write a Substack. So Substack is Midnight in the Laptop of Good and Evil. That's my Substack. My website is JoeBidenAuthorized.com. You can sign up for the Substack there. You can buy my books there. If you're a paid subscriber to the Substack, you get a book free. I'll send it to you in honor of it. But you do have to give me your address. Um, also, I've got a, uh, last week I got uh, invited to be the subject of a documentary film. So I spent about six hours with a guy who's a documentary filmmaker. We did a quick tour around the White House. We did a big sit down in his hotel room in D.C. talking basically about a lot of what we just talked about. And that'll be coming out in about a couple months, he says. So we'll see. Well, we don't have a title. We just have a lot of more of this sort of discussion about people like Clemens, people like Ron Klain, what was in the laptop, that kind of thing. Do you, do you think that this was a setup? Do you think that the pen, I mean, from what you see, do you think this was planned as a, as a failure to, to, to pin it on Trump? I think it was plan B. I think they hoped to get Trump with the Russia hoax. And when that didn't work and they saw in 2020 how, you know, the Trump economy was succeeding. The I mean, Trump signed up 20, 20 percent more voters voted for Trump in his second uh, election than voted from the first election. They would have seen those numbers in the in the background polls. They knew something significant was happening. They had to stop him at all costs. And they pulled out all stops to do this. And Joe Biden probably had the infrastructure in place and made the deal with the Democratic Party operatives that he needed to and said, and with Xi Jinping. I think Xi Jinping was in on it, too. That's what that meeting they had in Davos was. They probably set it up and said, hey, look, look out for this. And that's I do think that happened. That's what we're going to get to the bottom of eventually. Well, I know that in Chris Whipple's book, he talks about Biden um, making a phone call to Ted Kaufman, I'm sorry, Kaufman, um, to take a walk around Delaware, you know, because he was going to go for it and run in 2020. And the book goes into great detail how the Biden team came together very quietly, very early on to put things into motion. Mike, thank you for joining us. You know you're welcome to come back. Good luck with this documentary. And uh, thank you for putting, you know, all these facts on the table for people to just mull over and think as this story goes forward. And congratulations on your books. Thanks, Christine. It's great talking with you. I look forward to doing it again. Thanks, Mike.